We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. I was lost, but he brought me and all his love for me. Oh, his love for me.
How many of you believe that this morning? Who can stop? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? this morning as the body of Christ. God reveals himself to us and we respond to that. That is worship. He responds, or he reveals and we respond. There we go. Don't get that backwards, right? He's not worshiping us. Amen? Amen. Part of our worship is not just in singing, but in prayer, in giving, in listening to his word. So as the plates are passed around, we're going to have a time to practice worshiping through our giving. We recognize that everything we have to begin with belongs to him, and it's a gift to us. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, we pray. We pray that even as we give and in worship in this moment through our giving, we pray that the glory and the honor will be given to you. I pray that you would use these finances, that you would multiply your kingdom as a result. Not for our gain, not for First Baptist Church, not for anyone on the staff, not for anyone in the congregation here, but for you and your name alone. I pray that you would use this. We declare that you are faithful, that your love never ends. I pray this in your name, amen.
fighting colds this week, so I'm up here like, oh, is my voice even coming out? But you know what's great? It doesn't depend on us. First of all, life doesn't depend on us. Second of all, our worship of the giver of life doesn't depend on us, but on the heart he gives us. You gonna get a name for that? Who's had a crazy week this week? <laughs> a busy week? Lots going on. Feels like maybe I'm a little overwhelmed. Our God is faithful. And that's what we rest in. Let's sing that out. Your love never fails, never gives up. It never runs out on me.
like seeing that, just the voices. No instruments, nothing going on. Can we declare that together? <laughs> Your love never fails, never gives up. Now, as we come to the text today, we are at commandment number 10. But even though we're at commandment number 10, Exodus 20, verse 17, we're going to read all of those together. So let me get my things, and we'll get ready to read all of that together here in just a second. And before we do, let me introduce myself. I'm Chris Johnson. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist San Antonio. I can't always be over here in this room, but I love being here in this room with you. The spirit of worship is perfect, and I love to be here with you, and I love to to be over here, especially on a day where we can take the supper together. This is a good day to be together. Now, if you're a a guest with us today, I I would like to get to know you, and our church would like to get to know your name, and so we have these guest cards that should be in the pew back in front of you. Um, and you can, you can hand these in after the service so we can get to know you a little bit. Then also on the other side of the page, some of the things, one prayer request, but also some of the things that we expect out of our church members. So we hope you read up on that, and we hope you follow through on all of those things that we expect. All right, now let's get to our text for today. We're going to read together all of Exodus 20, 1 through 17. It's the last day of the Ten Commandments, so we're going to read all of that together. So let's stand, and let's read the commandments aloud together. This, then, is the text for today. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Amen. Amen. 
We gave the, the children Snickers. I hope you'll forgive me for that. But considering Snickers, Snickers has a two-pronged ad strategy. It begins with, and I'm sure you've heard this, it begins with, you're not you when you're hungry, implying that when you are hungry, you turn into a monster. Now, how many of us turn into a monster when we haven't eaten? Yeah, let's, let's be honest with ourselves. And I won't tell you um, who, but there have been a few scenes in our house that follow that as well. Now, as the commercial goes, any time of the day, you can eat a Snickers and that hungry monster will be calmed, saved by the Snickers. And then the commercials close with the tagline. It's on the back of the bag that we just gave to the kids. Snickers satisfies. Now, the truth of that ad is that if Snickers satisfies to any degree, it is always a temporary fix. It is a shot of sugar leading to an eventual crash. See, now there are, there are others in contemporary culture who say that life is just the opposite. Say, forget food. You should never be satisfied. And you'll hear that preached time and time again. You're never satisfied. You'll hear it coming from your boss. You'll hear it coming from your coach. Never satisfied. So in, in the weekly pep talk about profits, you'll hear the refrain, never satisfied. We will take 100% of the market share. You see, this, this sentiment is perfectly exemplified in Bill Belichick, head coach of the New England Patriots, who is, preaches never satisfied emphatically as a football evangelist. In fact, you see this quintessential Belichick is the Patriots scoring the go-ahead touchdown at the end of the game. And while everybody is celebrating, everybody else is jumping up and down, you see Bill Belichick with his arms crossed, a scowl on his face. He'll be yelling at the kicker or staring at the other sideline, never satisfied. People look at men like him and say, that's it. That's the key to life, never satisfied. See, our commandment this week, Exodus 20, verse 17, commandment number 10, you shall not covet, deals explicitly with the mind. Deals explicitly with searching our hearts for satisfaction. It's ourselves searching our heart for satisfaction. Is our heart satisfied? It's God searching our heart, saying the very same thing. Is your heart satisfied with that which you have been given? You see, for many people on this earth, satisfaction is an illusion. Some even say it's an illusion left in the minds of lazy daydreamers. See, because, because each of us are, are filled with desire. Our, our mind desires all kinds of things. So think through some of the things that your heart and mind desires. A happy family. A good job. A win, more money, a bigger house, Tim Duncan coming out of retirement. These are the kinds of things that, that we desire. And some of those things are good, but some of those things are a pipe dream. Some of those things are good, but, but some of them, they begin to morph into something unholy. See, as that desire begins to transform within us, it turns into something that looks awfully fleshly. 
something that, that turns into a selfishness. And as that desire transforms into the, the flesh and the selfishness that it does, we begin to covet. You see, desire is a good thing. A motivating factor in our lives, it helps us move forward. It, it helps us take that next step that we need to take. You need to desire. Some of us in here need to desire more, much more. Some of us in this room are selling ourselves way too short. We need a little bit of that Bill Belichick. Move us along. The difficulty lies, though, when that ballooning desire develops into insatiable sin. See, for, for many of us, even here in this room, there comes a, a time when even those healthy desires turn into something unhealthy, like hate. You begin to hate the people that are around you. You hate them for what you want. You begin to see them as a lesser person. You begin to see them as an obstacle in your way. You begin to see them as people who have what you want and you will do whatever to take that from them. Someone gets a job that you wanted and you fume. And you're never satisfied until you knock them down a peg. You see, this is a dangerous moment of coveting. You know, or someone gets some, some kind of thing that you want, a, a computer that you want, or a phone you want, something like this. And your mind begins to go places, hateful places, where you will do anything to disrupt their lives. You dream. You may even attempt to walk away with their stuff. Coveting takes us into the shadows where death lives. We're not satisfied with our lives. And, and in these weak moments of coveting, we even start to lose faith. And so that never satisfied just takes us over. And we look around and we look around. We see people that, that, are, that are better off than we are. We see people that have stuff we think we deserve. And so we start to look up and lose our faith, saying, God, where are you? God, God, what are you doing? Because I should have what they have. I've done better than they have done, and they have more than I do. Never mind the billions of people who are worse off than us. We're never satisfied until we can have more than that one person that we see who has it better than we do. You know what? It's ruinous. It reminds me of uh, a song from Bob Dylan's Christian phase. If you know, Bob Dylan, maybe the greatest American songwriter uh, who've ever lived, he was once addicted to Christianity. <clears throat> he wrote three Christian albums in that time. One of those albums is a song called A Satisfied Mind, and it, it starts like this. How many times have you heard someone say, if I had his money, I'd do things my way. But little do they know, it's so hard to find one rich man in ten who has a satisfied mind. See, that, that song begins in, in commandment number ten. If I had his money, I'd do things my way. And this is the way so many of us live our lives today. We only see what other people have rather than what we have. 
We only see what, what other people have rather than what God has blessed us with. We, we are completely blind to the great opportunity and resources that God has set in front of us because we can't stop looking at somebody else. Because we can't stop looking at our neighbor, we miss this, this grand blessing that God has set in our lap. We miss all of the ways that God has taken care of us and tended us through the years. We miss it. You see, our daydreams revolve around the sentiment, if I only had... If I only had that, then life would be good. If only I had what they had, then life would be good. That kind of thinking is ruinous. It's faithless. It separates us from our God. That kind of thinking is sinful. You see, one of the unique elements of this commandment, commandment number 10, is that it peers into your mind. And it, it, it goes right into your heart. The other commandments that we, we see and we, we read earlier today, a lot of them are built around specific actions. Many of those that can be, or some of those can be prosecuted in a court of law, like you shall not steal, right? You shall not murder. Those are physical actions that, that you can prosecute. But this one, commandment number 10, you shall not covet, that's between you and God. It, it searches your mind for how you view this life, how you view what you have been given, how you view what other people have. You know, I ran across a, a comment this week that struck me. In fact, I had to stop and pray when I read this commandment. Or, excuse me, when I read this, read this comment. One of the commentaries said, have, have you ever taken the time to thank God for something someone else has received? Have you ever taken the time to thank God that another brother and sister in Christ is just flourishing in their job. Have you ever taken the time to thank God that a sister church is just growing up and is vibrant? Have you ever taken the time to thank God that another ministry is just building up disciples, expanding the kingdom of God? Have you ever taken the time to thank God that your neighbor has gotten a raise. Maybe it'd be helpful for us. Maybe it'd be a remedy for covetousness if we would take the time to thank God for something someone else has received. See, because the spiritual reality is that we are blessed far beyond what we deserve. See, in this room, we live in Texas. At this point in history, you know, we are living in the most prosperous state in the most prosperous country, in the most prosperous point of history. We don't need to kid ourselves. If we are in this room today, we are in the 1% of history. We have more resources and more access than anyone ever in human history. We have things like indoor plumbing and refrigeration. We, we have things like phones that can connect us to anyone across the world right now, this instant. You, you, have, you have more stuff right now already, than 99.9% .9 of humanity has ever had. Your home is nicer and filled with more things than anyone in history has ever had. You have stuff right now that the wealthiest people in the world couldn't dream of 50 years ago. And yet, we still aren't satisfied. God has brought us to the most prosperous point in human history and we still are not satisfied. 
Why might that be? See, the reason that, that we aren't satisfied and, and the reason why those desires still go down those dark roads in our heart is because as, as enticing as those things are, you will never be satisfied with anything of this world. Contentment and satisfaction do not come from this world. Contentment and satisfaction only come through an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the only way. It's the only way we will find peace and contentment. It's the only way we will ever find any kind of satisfaction. The only place we will ever find any moment that we settle in our hearts with the peace of God. You know, a Snickers shot of sugar that leads to a, to a crash. It's just like all the other stuff in this world. That's exactly what all the stuff in this world does. You know, e even the stuff your rich neighbor has that we drool over is temporal. Most of it is inconsequential in as little as just a couple of years. You know, one of the things that, that a lot of people covet is, is their neighbor's car. And so it's amazing that that car you covet is going to depreciate and be in a used car lot the next time you turn around. It's the kind of things that moth and rust destroy. It disintegrates. It's nothing. On some level, you know that. On some level, you know that's never going to satisfy you. So once you get it, you, you want something else. You want something more. There's really only one remedy. It's an intimate relationship with the Lord. Probably it's important for us, too, this morning to, to recognize that when our heart goes there, and it does, our heart goes to those kinds of places, we start to drool over somebody else's snickers. When it does, get on your knees before the Lord. The only way you're ever going to be completely satisfied is to hand your life completely over to the Lord. Where you take those desires and, and, and whatever is, is bubbling up in your heart, be honest before the Lord and just lay it before Him. Lay it before Him in, in prayer. As you start to drool over your neighbor's snickers, just set it in front of Him and say, Lord, take this. Take this desire of my heart and make it right. Make it holy. Make it healthy. Lord, forgive me. Lay your coveting ways at his feet in repentance. See, when you begin to name it in yourself and, and you're repentant, that's when you begin to heal. And that's when you begin, you begin to, to see things as God sees them. And that's, that's part of the contentment is you do. You begin to see things as God does. You see the things that are temporal as temporal. You see the things that are eternal and lasting as eternal. And you can grab hold of those things and be satisfied in them. As God begins to heal you. And that's the only way this works. Is, is the Holy Spirit becomes, uh, comes upon your life and begins to heal you in that repentance. And see, as that, that begins to unfold in your life, God has something much greater in store for you than you realize. God has much, something much greater than, than a bag of Snickers. Or a new car or a bigger house or a new job or, or whatever it is. God, God has something much greater for us. 
And to, and to bring all of that into fruition, to see that fruit, God is going to heal your heart. See, some of us miss that God gives generously to all of his children. And, and God is, is giving generously to you now. And in repentance, you will see great fruit come out of that. That God has a, a purpose and a life in store for you. That moves you past all of those temporal things and into the eternal you have an eternal kingdom of God purpose in your life that God, God is ready to embark on with you. But it's impossible for you to begin that journey when your heart is left coveting and you're looking over at your neighbor instead of following your Lord. You're never going to make any progress in this life looking at your neighbor rather than your Lord. So God, God's ready. God, God's ready and waiting on us to repent of our covetousness and move our eyes from them to him. And when we do, we'll start to see what Jesus meant when he said in so many words that Snickers will not satisfy you. You'll only be satisfied when you partake of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So you see these elements sitting here in front of me. Jesus Jesus taught us that anybody that takes of these elements will never hunger or thirst again. These elements are the wellspring of life, providing the sustenance for eternity. You know, we're taught, you know, we're taught in school, we're taught in this life that food is a necessity. You know, it's the kind of things that we talk about are needs. Uh, food's a need, water's a need, oxygen's a need, a shelter's a need, th those kinds of things. But, but that's not right. The only necessity in this life, the only thing you need this day is not lunch at Taco Cabana. The only thing that you need this day is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. You see, with these two, if we take these two seriously, our relationship with the Lord intimately, we will be completely satisfied. And until then, we'll never know what satisfaction tastes like. The altar, the Father's arms. 
Bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. If you haven't already, take a moment to close your eyes and to recognize that it is a heart matter. Even our taking communion, which is a symbolic act, is a recognition that there's a heart matter going on. Oh. 
our worship is us responding to God. So I encourage you to worship. Know that the, the front here is open. If you need to come and pray, there'll be someone who will come and pray with you. And I've heard it said around the church before, I think Aaron Hufty said it, Chris probably said it, everyone is responding in this room right now. And whether that be you walking down to the front and praying, or you sitting down where you are, whether that be you pressing in and engaging what God is doing in your heart right now, or are you saying, I don't want to have anything to do with it? But we're going to sing this declaration that our Jesus, our Savior, is wonderful. And I want to encourage you to continue to just respond in worship.
First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.